to the punchy edition of Continuing Conversations. <laughs> I am Michael Dismuke, freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures, also a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG. I am here with the dynamic duo today. Uh, Jim, why don't you introduce yourself and introduce our uh, guest who's been with us many times before. Uh, sure thing. I am Jim Johnson. I am the uh, line editor and project manager for the Star Trek Adventures role-playing game published by Modifius Entertainment, and I am very pleased to be the co-host of this here show with Michael Dismuke each and every week uh, for very nearly a year now, closing in on a year here, right? Yeah. Getting there, yeah. And we still have a run out of stuff to talk about, right? Not only because there's always new products coming out, but we've always got a lot to say about the stuff that's out. So uh, mm-hmm. thanks for bearing with us for, for as long as you have, and to give you an opportunity to introduce our guest for tonight, Al Spader. How's it going, Al Spader? Um, uh, you know, I'm a writer for Star Trek Adventures and just a, a, a role-playing super fan in general. Um, I'm excited to be here tonight. Yeah, and I want to make sure we plug Al's new audiovisual setup because it looks it looks swanky and I love it. And uh, I bet you're happy too. Yeah, yeah. I just got a new mic, new camera. You know, pretty pretty happy with it. Jelly. Yeah, yeah. The fact that we're going to be at episode fifty-two in a couple of weeks is getting wow. me to up my game. Notice I'm wearing a headphone for the same time because it's at the for the first time because a fan said that I sounded a little echoey, and this is how I learned I can stop it. I got my mic a little closer, and I'm going to have my friend who's actually into AV. He's going to set me up like toward the end of the month to make it sound really good. Because honestly, Jim, I didn't think we'd be doing this this long. Yeah, boy, you're you're both going to put me to shame. I need to up my game here because. Uh, I'm still using my crappy 12-year-old uh, iMac here and uh, making it work with the built-in uh, mic and uh, 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 sound system. So uh, you're, I'm going to have to start getting, I'm going to have to level up my game here a little bit pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I listen back to the podcast, sometimes I know, you know, I sound different. I Like there's not this matching sound and apparently there's yeah. software out there that will match us all up. So we'll yeah. see what happens. I'll, you know, let's, we, we progress. That's what Star Trek Adventures is all about. The, the game's improved over six years, and uh, we have to be open to innovation, right? Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, one of the reasons I brought the dynamic duo back again is because last time the three of us were together, we did something called the Rift Challenge. And I had a lot of good feedback from people who listened to the uh, podcast or watched the podcast that they were like, wow, you really inspired me to tell great stories. I know we even were like, wow, we have the first season of our own TV show ready to go. Um, and so we all talked, uh, We the three of us were talking about it. We were thrilled by that last Rift Challenge episode. So we thought, why not do it again, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it was so much fun. Good. So what we did, for those of you who are new, the Rift Challenge means that we each pick one paragraph from any one of the books that have come out from Star Trek Adventures, any of the supplements, the divisions, the core rulebook, the Shackle the Expanse, Game Masters players, all of those. And we each pick a paragraph and we read it and then we riff on it. And then the other two come in and kind of yes and. We yes and and create the story and really get excited. And the reason we decided to do this so everyone knows is because I, myself and Jim, in many of our conversations, we kept taking like one paragraph as we were reviewing these books. Um, if you go back in history and our dozens of episodes, we review every supplement and we were going off on these little 
par- tangents over one paragraph. And I said, you know what? We need to just do a show on this because we're not getting enough in, in our in our uh, normal recordings. So we're going to do that again this 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 week. What what did you both feel about the last time we did our Rift Challenge? What kind of feedback did you have? Or did you feel about it? Um, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. All right. Uh, so, like, I heard a lot of positive feedback online, specifically, um, uh, especially from some newer um, GMs. It, it, it um, really prompted them to kind of looking uh, into how to build a story and how to get that story seed out of even something as simple as a sentence. Okay, good. Jim? Uh, well, I mean, we all haunt the same places online for the most part, so I was reading the same stuff you were reading. But, yeah, I think... Uh, um, I had a lot of fun doing it, uh, partly because, um, you know, I, I've mentioned ad nauseum that I have such a short memory that once I once one of these books get out gets out into the wild, I purge my brain and I'm on to the next one. And so I tend to forget a lot of the content that's in here. Like, I mean, obviously, if, if I read something in a new manuscript, I'll be like, well, wait, I think that was in an earlier book. Let's go check that. But like the specific wordage and the specific verbiage in these books, I, I tend to forget it. And so when, when we do these rift challenges, it's great for me because I get to refresh my memory and go, oh, wow, there's really a lot of stuff packed in here. Uh, so, A, I enjoy doing the rift challenge, you know, just grabbing any random paragraph out of a book and doing something cool with it. But the feedback we got was really favorable, too, where people were, instead of us just kind of like reviewing a book or talking about a guest or something or talking to a guest or something, it was just a chance to take the existing material and spin it in a new way because that's what, we, that's what I really want all the fans to be doing. Uh, because like you guys as writers and all the other writers on the on the team have done such a great job every book chapter after chapter paragraph after paragraph packing just as many ideas into these paragraphs as you possibly can and um i appreciate that as a game master and i hope i mean clearly the feedback we're getting is that other game masters appreciate that too and and the some of the newer game masters i think struggle a little bit to like really break out of the box and get creative not not in a negative sense. It's just because you're new and it's okay, right? You're just still learning all these tools and tricks and tips and everything. So to be able to pull some random paragraph out of a book and blow it out into like a 45 minute conversation like we did last time, that's great. That's bold. It's right? like that being in a writer's room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. We all dream of being in the writer's room. So this is our chance to practice. So when we are finally in the writer's room, we're like, oh, it's an old hat to us. So <laughs> that's right. So so last time what we did is we went by first name alphabetical order. Uh, we're going to go first name reverse alphabetical order just to mix it up a little bit this time. Um, and let's let's jump into it. The rules of the game, if we remember last time, is that we read the paragraph. We're only going to spend about five to seven minutes riffing off of it. So after uh, I read the paragraph, I'm going to riff with some ideas and then we go into yes and mode. Uh, play along at home if you like to. Feel free to pause and riff, riff with us if you want to. Um, so I decided to take it back to the old school gym, to the alpha quadrant source book as my first one. I, I am in love with the alpha quadrant. First of all, I think there's still a lot to be discovered. You know, people keep pushing into the gamma and the delta, but there's still a lot of space. And so um, this would be a good, a good close to home game um, for people. I chose page 21 because I have a character on our game that myself and Al play that I'm in love with. He's a Tellarite. And I, I, I randomly just flipped in. And I saw the word Tellarite. I said, let me stop on this page and I'm going to read the paragraph and we'll talk about the riff. So here it is. Um, this is on page 21, talking about Tellarite Andorian relations, two of my favorite species. Um, and it says, according to the Tellarites, they invited the Andorians to a meeting for peace and hammered out an arrangement which pleased both parties. So this is back before the foundation of the uh, 
of the Federation. The Andorians' pride and the Tellarite's stubbornness meant neither party was willing to leave the negotiation table until their agreement was perfect. The Andorians left Tellarite space, and as years went on, hostilities lessened between the two cultures. Although small skirmishes still occurred, they were rare. Today, both species often still come to verbal conflict within the Federation Council. However, unlike the bloody war of their past, these sparring matches are held with a competitive respect for one another rather than actual animosity. And so this to me was like, oh, this would make a great diplomatic relations kind of episode. I would think that maybe one of our players has diplomacy or negotiation. Maybe one of them is Tellarite and Dorian. Maybe one of them has is best friends with an ambassador on either one of the species. And they are asked, this is where I would draw a command officer or an executive officer into the game. And they're asked to negotiate a breakdown of a treaty or maybe uh, a colony in dispute or a trade line. And I would have the Andorians be Andorians and the Tellarites be Tellarites. Um, and maybe we mix in a subplot too, where, you know, in my opinion, I think Vulcans are behind everything evil in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> that somehow maybe a twisted Vulcan or some dark character is there fueling this argument between the Andorians and the Tellarites. But definitely this would be a lot of social conflict in a, the form of an extended task and maybe even a little mystery to solve about someone who's doing something dirty with trade routes or, or broken treaties. Well, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think that it would be fun to do something like where uh, if one of the factions, uh, maybe the Indorians, have some type of mineral that the Tellarites need um, for the ships that they're building in their shipyards, and you have to break down, uh, you know, that trade agreement between the two different civilizations, right? Um, and then you know, uh, you, you get, hopefully you have a Tellarite and an Andorian on the crew <laughs> that can also be a part of this. Um, and, and just let them, it, it reminds me a lot of like, uh, like dwarves and elves, right. Um, same, same general idea, you know, um, and, and yes. go from there, I think. Yes. And, and I think it would be fun to let players have the fun of exploring, arguing like a Tellarite, like being the normal diplomat standard Starfleet protocol will not work. You've got to come at it like a Tellarite. I think there'd be a lot of humorous moments. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think that, that would be a lot of fun, especially if you could play that off of uh, another character who was maybe like a little, not neurotic, but just like really sensitive to the diplomatic protocols and like, Every time the Andorian and the Tellarites start going at it, they're like, oh, gosh, this whole treaty is going to fall apart and we're doomed. And it's like they got to run. They, they, they think they have to do damage control. But it's actually just the Andorian and the Tellarite just screwing with each other, you know, or just having that, that, that back and forth friendly, uh, friendly competition, you know. But, the, you know, then and then later in the, later in the timeline, um, I would love for this to be either two player characters who could play off each other like that all night long um, mm -hmm. or make it a sub a running subplot where if one of the player characters was a Tellarite or an Andorian, had their counterpart on another ship, constantly competitive, constantly going you know, back and forth with each other. Kind of like that, uh, that, that uh, Vulcan captain that, that Cisco was competitive with, mm -hmm. like baseball. You know, kind of that relationship where every time those two ships end up together, these two, the Andorian and the Tellarite, they're always at each other um, in a good-natured spirit, of course. Um, but it's just yeah. like there's just so much opportunity for subplot there and social conflict that I think it would just be really fun to fold that in. 
Yeah, and I think what I would do too is one or two of the characters before the game starts launch into, hey, let's flesh out your backstory a little bit. Maybe there's a romantic interest. Maybe this was your Starfleet uh, uh, tutor, or you know, let's let's get some richness so that when they get into the game, there's a little bit more meat to chew on. So it gives a chance for someone to really develop their backstory. Um, and if you want to develop an antagonist, you could have uh, someone that's playing kind of like devil on the shoulder, but for both both sides that like wants them both to fail and it's like you know whispering in each side's ear trying to like ruin the negotiations oh boy do i smell a ferengi when you say that (laughs) (laughs) guest starring quark okay good okay very good all right so that that was my choice from the alpha quadrant thinking like i don't want pew pew or phasers i didn't want photon torpedoes but i definitely you know wanted wanted some really good uh narration and social conflict so good awesome That'd be a fun episode. All right. It sounds like it's Jim's turn next. What do you have for us? All right. So in the, uh, I, I tried to be as uh, uh, transparent as I could. And literally, I didn't give this any thought until tonight. And um, I, I got, I sat, I sat down right before the, uh, our recording started. And I rolled randomly for what book I was going to pick. <laughs> and then I rolled randomly for what page and what paragraph. So literally, this is completely random. Um, I ended up with the discovery uh, uh, campaign guide that came out just you know earlier this year. Um, I'm on page 156, and I'm on paragraph uh, three. So it, there's a half paragraph and then two paragraphs. So I'm going to go with like the second full paragraph on this page. It's on the top. This is under science officer. This is the chapter where we're talking about how um, how every every role, every character role has something. Right? There's always something to do. And uh, so this is the second paragraph about the science officer. It's uh, it's fairly short, so I will uh, I will read it in full. I mean, the second paragraph I'm not going to read up the whole the whole entry, but uh, so again, uh, discovery campaign guide, page one fifty six, second paragraph under science officer. <clears throat> Once the war begins in earnest, Starfleet's top scientific and engineering minds are tasked with studying the Klingon cloaking device and finding ways to counteract it. Further, scientists are charged with investigating alternative means to activate a spore hub drive and to seek out any tardigrades, searches that Starfleet vessels and officers are pressed into performing. Post-war, scientists turned soldiers must find their way back to an exploratory focus if they can. So there's just a ton of stuff. I mean, even just one paragraph, like there's just so much here because it covers a year plus in this uh, Discovery Season 1, Season 2 timeframe. Which is also, you know, pre-TOS, early, all very early TOS. Like if you include the um, the first pilot, right, and uh, even get into that that Pike era stuff. So um, clearly, though, you know, you're in the you're in the Federation Klingon War. You are a scientist ship, or you're an engineering character, and you know, not only do you have the war to deal with, but Starfleet's telling you either a figure out how to how to counteract the cloaking device, or b Go figure out new ways that we can get this spore hub drive working, or A and B at the same time, because we're 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 uh, we're resource poor at this point, right? Uh, you know, Starfleet's getting their their butt handed to them by the Klingons, you know, especially once the Discovery disappears, right, and, and is presumed destroyed. So this is just like, I feel like this is a great opportunity to just really just pile on to your player characters. It's like, okay, you're scientists, you play a couple of sessions as scientists and then all of a sudden oh the war just broke out 
now your scientists turn into soldiers. Now you're on a on a science ship, but now you're being pressed into service to go fight on the front lines. That sucks, or maybe not, depending on what your characters are doing. Maybe they turn into warhawks. I don't know. Um, but then in, somewhere in the course of the of the of that of that war, oh by the way, we found out that the Klingons have a cloaking device. We need to figure out how to counteract it. So you know all those uh, scientific uh, methods and um, uh, what's the other one? I, I just drew a blank. Uh, extended tasks to try to figure out like how, how are we going to break this cloaking device? And then Starfleet says, oh, by the way, we've got this uh, experimental uh, um, engine system that we need some help with because all of our best scientists are dead. <laughs> like both both uh, ships, right? The Glenn and the Discovery are both destroyed. Who wants to touch that, right? Who wants to touch that magic? Um, so yeah, well, I just have one question. Yeah. yeah, and I, I just have one question. What do you get when you cross Cross a spore drive with a tardigrade and a Romulan cloaking device, right? <laughs> right. Who wants to know that? <laughs> and so you got some, some creative engineers like, oh, what if we do this and this and this and this and this and this? Yeah. So I think mean, there's just a wealth, and this is like uh, I know Discovery. You know, this first two seasons took a very specific direction because of those characters, uh, but this is just another opportunity to do something really, really different. And uh, like even during a war, have a super science and engineering heavy campaign where it's like oh sure the war is going on but you've got all this other science and exploration type stuff to do and figure out so uh anyway you have, my... you have a lot of questions going I, and i just have a question yeah. then was was discovery i know stamets was the lead researcher on the spore drive but were they really the only ones working on it i'm just curious no if i remember right it was him and his his friend was on the glen yeah. they, yeah. they had that conversation early on i think it was either episode one or episode two they were having a back and forth conversation and Samus was kind of jealous because his friend had gotten a little further ahead. But then of course it turned out that they got, they got, they got killed because of the, where they were with the uh, experimenting. Um, and, and so Samus was, I, but I'm sure there were other people kind of involved in it, but they were the primary two. I, I'm drooling right now. So Al, I'm going to let you talk because I have a lot of ideas pouring out of my face. So I'm going to just let you do so I think I think one interesting uh, path that could be taken is, you know, yes, the spore drive was on two specific ships. However, other ships could still be doing research that that leads to that. Right. Um, so you could be on a ship that's looking for something that is not a tardigrade that opens up a path to the mycelial network. Um differently than a jump drive, a spore drive, right? Um, so I think that that's the route that I would take with that um, initially is to have it be on a, a unique ship that isn't totally clear on why they're trying to hunt down this specific, you know, uh, spore or whatever. Um, and, or, or even a ship that accidentally uh, is in battle with the Klingons that accidentally slips into the mycelia network for one reason or another, and then start going in that direction. Could some mad scientists have thought that the that the cloaking device was a key to figuring out the mycelial network? Mm. Could the could there have been a Klingon scientist competing with a mad scientist from Starfleet, and they walk into the middle of that research? Yeah, <laughs> you know, see, this is this is a place where uh, um, I think I would I would pull some of the nuggets out of this, and I'd go uh, hunt down my. Our, our buddy Aaron, 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 oh, or um, or you know, Dr. Aaron McDonald, or, or somebody super scientific, and uh, and just start throwing questions at him, right? Like, 
Okay, so assume that the mycelial network is a thing. If if A option doesn't work because the Glenn and the discovery were both destroyed, how, how, what other ways are there to activate it? What, what other ways could we do it? And then knowing what we know about the technology of Star Trek cloaking devices, how could we fold that into here somehow? Um, or maybe like maybe if the Romulans somehow got involved, is there a way that we could tie in their um, quantum singularity drive system, experimental drive systems into this too, and like really screw around with some crazy science? Yeah, I feel that by the end of this episode, it would give viewers of Star Trek a better understanding of why protocols were put into place to never do a spore drive again. <laughs> like yeah. to shut this technology down because it can go so wrong. I just think it would be a terrifyingly amazing yeah. episode of science. Uh, and, and another thing you can do is like, what if, uh, what if this uh, ship is independently working on their own cloaking device? Uh-huh. They, they, they finally get the pieces that they need to activate it, and then the war ends, and they're told to cancel their research, mm-hmm. right? Epic. Think about, like, the end of World War II, how many scientists were there that were kind of, like, either had to shift countries or were out of jobs, essentially, right? Um, like, that type of character development would be really, really interesting at the end of an arc. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good stuff. That's a mission module right there. <laughs> That is really good. Good stuff, man. Wow. Okay. All right. Good paragraph. Al, what do you got? Uh, So I randomly opened up uh, the uh, Command Division uh, booklet uh, to page 90. um, And it says putting it all together. And uh, it's talking about social conflict, which I think is something that we're always interested in. Um, But this is, uh, it's the first paragraph says Cold War ceasefire is a specific type of social conflict that you get into. Two mutually hostile forces are arrayed against each other, but are not yet in conflict, open conflict. Uh, There may be some manner of treaty that holds war at bay, but tensions are high and the situation has escalated things to a point where fighting could break out shortly. Neither side wants war, but neither is willing to simply back down. Um, So, I mean, it's easy to talk about like Klingons and Romulans and things like that, but I think this would be really intriguing if it was two relatively new species that are relatively unknown um, to the Federation and uh, trying to help uh, guide them through uh, this particular process. Yeah. What kind of species would you envision? Like uh, two things we've never seen before, right? Yeah. and. And may, and possibly from you know the same system, um, competing for the resources of that system, um, you know, and they've kind of mute like they've existed on their own for some time, and then they they came to to discover each other, and maybe they did have a couple of uh, outbreaks or, or or fights or battles, um, uh, but now they're trying to get past that. So now there's you know the ceasefire <laughs> and the federation has kind of you know sees uh two species that they can help uh and and bring into the federation at some point yeah i have an outlandish idea but do you want to go first jim no go ahead so i i, I picture subspace always like this plane right subspace subspace you know uh, you know whatever it is but imagine if both species have evolved at the same time in their realm of subspace. They both have the ability to contact the Federation, but only one of them can achieve warp because by doing it, whoever gets it first, the other ones can't. And so it's kind of like this, this nego- how do you negotiate? They can't, in- they can't cross each other's planes, 
but it's one or the others, like almost the first one through a, through a hole, you know, that might be interesting because then how do the players make a decision on that? Don't give them the answer. Of course. Don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, no, that's cool. I like it. Um, so many possibilities there. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have a specific riff off the top of my head, but uh, I just, it, it's great to, uh, to, to see that uh, those pieces come together. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, I just, a, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so like for me and, and one of the things, and Michael, I know that we've talked about this in the past too. One of the more interesting things um, to do in Star Trek is to take something um, that, you know, might be a familiar story for you to have played through, but instead put yourself on the outside and watch others play through um, the situation. And I think that becomes a completely different story for your character when you're watching it happened to others than when you're experiencing it yourself. Um, so I think that that's, you know, the driving force behind this is, you know, you're not necessarily, I mean, you could be a mediator, right? Like your, your, your people could be a mediator between this, this uh, ceasefire. Um, and uh, you're just trying to, cause you know, we don't want war to erupt anywhere. Um, right. So how do we make sure that war doesn't happen here? Yeah, I like to remind game masters when they're, you know, you shouldn't be pushing people to fight. You shouldn't push it. But the easiest way to create war is a lack of a resource. So have a very important resource. I mean, a resource could be an ideology too. Don't get, I'm not thinking just diamonds or dilithium. It could be something. But once you have the resource that both parties need, coming in as a mediator is really interesting when you have an exhaustible resource. Because we see that happen every day in real life, right? That's why wars actually happen is because of resource, labor, food, whatever. So that as a game master, just advice is just put the resource there, create the problem and let your players deal with it and see what they come up with. That, there's a lot of tension there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's always fun too um, to add uh, another, <laughs> another layer, right? Like here's, Here's another potential mediator that also has the same resource. So why does it have to be the Federation? Why couldn't it be the Klingons or the Romulans or or, or the Ferengi or something, right? Maybe maybe they come in and say, oh, hey, you know, maybe you'd rather have us as the mediator. We've got stuff that's just as good, you know, and, and we'll help you get, you know, they can play both sides against each other or something. And then the, you know, the crew gets caught in the middle. And then like, then, then what do you do? Then you just up the stakes and like, what, who's who's getting the advantage here, right? What's, what's the deal? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's yeah. always- this could almost be applied to the Tellarite Andorian thing that we talked about earlier. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I like the fact that it could. If you said if it introduced two new species, maybe there's not a win-win situation. And right. So maybe later on in your campaign story arc, even a year later into your games, it comes back to haunt. Mm-hmm. You know that the. the crew it's like okay you did yeah you did make the best decision you could at the time yeah starfleet approved it but you still got to pay the repercussions yeah yeah consequences there's always consequences to actions and now you get to see them in real time and here's here's here here's how it all played out because this one could like riffing off what you were saying michael like okay you know species a got the advantage and and are, are the one of the two that get to go on to warp drive or whatever so here's what happened to species a but then here's what happened to species b and and was that necessarily the best? I mean, it was the best choice you could make at the time, even though it was the the lesser of two evils. But now look at what's happening. And, and like maybe maybe you almost do like a DS9 where you can't run away from these choices that you make, right? They are they're always gonna come back, right? Like next gen kind of got it pre- pretty good, right? Because they could kind of like 
do an episode and then you never hear from them again. Why you never go back to that species or whatever? Except in very rare circumstances. But DS9, a lot of times, um, and you know, of course, Discovery too. Uh, when when a choice is made, whether it's a good choice or a bad choice, it's just a choice. There's always consequences. There's always something. There's always more drama to come later. And I think that's one of the things I love the most about Star Trek as a role playing game is that there's there's an opportunity to really dig into that drama beyond just the episode of the week or the monster of the week or the 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 prime directive violation of the week. Right? <laughs> you can you can always just go back to those consequences and and revisit stuff. And and the one thing that is also cool about this is it also gives you a chance um, to maybe some of the non-Federation characters that you could play or roles you could take from the player's guide um, could be potentially big players in this type of story as well, right? Yeah, the two things I would do to up this one narratively and one mechanically with the game to really throw some fire into this, I would make one of the species totally different looking than humanoid things that people, you know, maybe they look like a spider while the other ones look beautiful. Cause I would want to test my players biases out and talk about bias, which is a good, you know, an issue, but that would be something narratively I would throw into that. And the second thing I would throw in is I would create a time challenge where there's limited time to take advantage of the subspace corridor. So the decision has to be made or mm-hmm. the war will happen. So that way the players don't get analysis paralysis. They have to make a call at some point. Um, and that would create the tension too with that game mechanic. All right. <laughs> that was great. That was round one. So why don't you kick us off uh, with uh, with round two? Yeah, I have to say, so far, the Al's game, I don't want to play that one. I don't want to have that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the one I'm scared of the most. Yeah, which means that has to be the first one we do. <laughs> oh, all right, cool. All right, so um, I decided to go to the Game Master's Guide, and what I did, I went to the PDF this time. I ran, and if you have it on the PDF, you see all the little blocks at the bottom. So I could randomly pick that. I said, I'm going to randomly pick the PDF so it explodes that one page I randomly pick, and I'm going to close my eyes and drop it, my finger on the page. Um, And what I ended up with was on uh, page 197 of the Game Master's Guide, And I kind of crack up because people kind of may know how I feel about this, but it's the scientific method. (laughs) I have to admit, this has been one of the hardest mechanics for me to grasp up until recently, last season, season four of our game, where we finally, I think, used it correctly. So it's funny, I put my finger on this exact paragraph. I'll go ahead and read it, and then we can riff off that. Um, It says, when to use the scientific method. There will be many times in your games when a simple task won't be enough to get a group of characters through a problem. This is where gated challenges or a series of tasks would apply. The scientific method is a more extreme version of a gated challenge where failure isn't necessarily the end of the gated tasks and the problem never be solved. Here, characters may fail and go down the wrong path, yet still narrow down what is really happening or what they have to do. Think of the scientific method being used in situations that may take the entire adventure to solve or, like in our game, perhaps multiple adventures. So after reading this paragraph, I was like, okay, and just to be clear and to sum it up, a scientific method does not necessarily give you the solution at the end. And I think that's when we learned that in our game, it's really theoretical um, exploration 
and eliminating the possibility so you can get to the real answer, maybe eventually. So I was thinking, what's the biggest problem that I could just start act one with my players on that they would have to use the scientific method? And I went big and I said, imagine if all of a sudden an entire star system just disappears. Riff off that. Where would you go with that? That that the act one opens up with like we just lost an entire star system. Yeah, so I think I think that um, as we are throwing the scientific method into play here, you want to come up with a couple of different scenarios that may have happened that may have worked out right. Um, so I would say that you know uh, this is not normal, uh, and I would. Uh, I would say that we would want to come up with those three ideas. So the, you know, let your players come up, but why not have one of the potential things be like a spatial fold uh, has completely enveloped an entire system. Right. And, and if that is true, then we use the scientific method again to figure out what the heck could cause a spatial fold that big, you know what I mean? Um, I think that's the direction that I would uh, start going with it. Okay. Jim, what do you think? Yeah, I think the same idea. I think I'd, uh, I mean, we've seen plenty of examples in, in Star Trek of uh, weird stuff like that happening at the very beginning of an episode. And like, okay, well, what happened? Did we, did, is, this a, is this a time travel thing? Is this a subspace thing? Are we out of phase? Was something happened that we were out of phase? Is there, are we all um, psychologically, telepathically screwed up? Like is someone influencing our minds or something? Like there's so many different directions you could go with this. And I think, uh, I think, yeah, I think the scientific method would absolutely be the first place to start in an absence of any information, right? You've got to start somewhere. So I think, uh, you know, Starfleet and, uh, and associated people being the brilliant people that they are, they'd start breaking it down. Okay, is it, is it this? Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And just start working through the, uh, the, uh, the questions, right? And start doing the research. And I mean, hell, you, could, you could run several sessions of this. Just, okay, so, you know, we, we, go, we go down the rabbit hole on option A. Okay, turns out that wasn't it. Okay, option B, we go down the rabbit hole for option B and we go through the scientific method again and again and again until we figure it out. And then I guess as a game master, like, is this the entirety of the episode to figure out what happened to the solar system? Or is this literally uh, act one of the, of the whole story, right? Like, I mean, knowing my players in the past, we could spend, you know, hours on just this one question. Okay, what happened? And, uh, you know, I guess it depends on me as a game master, like how far... How long do I want them to bash their head against the wall trying to figure out what happened, right? Like, is that the point of the episode, what happened? Or is it like, is this the first hurdle to get through to all the other cool stuff that's coming, right? So that's, mm -hmm. that's, some, that's some writing choices that you need to think about as a game master. Like, if your players do really well getting through the scientific method, do you just, you know, give them the answer? And then, and then what happens? Is that the end of the episode or uh, is that the first the first chunk of it, like will this come back to play into the later part of the episode? Yep, I think it's important for game masters too to give their players something at the end. It, in some, it could be an answer or a reward. It could be foreboding of something greater to come. So you know, it could be a new technology that's discovered. It could be a weapon that has now been used. So they're dreading that. And of course, the human element's kind of important. So maybe tossing an ambassador on the ship who they were taking them to this star system and their star system is gone. So they start getting paranoid about who did this to us, you know? So, so that kind of thing to, to create some tension or drama could be fun to, so while the scientific method is playing out, people trying to get their work done, there's some distraction over here. 
Yeah, and and you could add uh, maybe there's um, some uh, relay stations that are around the star system, and you're getting like the final messages of the species that are like, you know what, we're done with you, galaxy, we're out of here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> don't say how oh. they did it, but say why that they're they're done with this galaxy. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I like that one. And whether it's truth or whether it's just the major roots of this of the of yeah, the year. Right. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So really, I mean, this is a good one. This is one if we were writing it up as a mission brief, I would not give the answer in Act Three. I like no. It's up to you as a game master to determine what this is and whether it plays into a larger campaign or whether it's just an episodic, but make sure to let your players have something at the end. Yeah. That their work wasn't totally without fruition. Yeah. And be flexible when someone's using the scientific method, because if they make three choices or whatever, and they're all wrong, it's kind of a feel bad at the end. So mm -hmm. just be flexible enough to let, you know, let that kind of flow a little bit and don't be so set in what the ending is definitely going to be. Let your players write it with you. Yeah, I'll admit too, in real play, while the people were working on a scientific method, someone else figured out the solution, <laughs> but it wasn't a boring game. Yeah. You know, we, so understand that that happens sometimes for real scientists too. Yep. Um, things happen like that. All right. Cool. That'd be a way out science episode with that one then. <laughs> All right, Jim. You're up. All right. So uh, uh, while we were working through those other ones, um, I multi I multitasked a little bit and did some more random rolling here. So uh, I want that roll table, by the way. I want whatever <laughs> roll table you created. <laughs> Sounds really cool. Um, so I mean, it's really it's really kind of uh, half half uh, half hearted, not half hearted, but uh, I've got <laughs> I've got my um, I've got my Dropbox and which has all the books on it, and uh, I just rolled the D twenty because we have I think twenty books. Or I got like twenty something folders, so I rolled some dice. And uh, anyway, um, I came up with the Klingon Core rulebook, and I am on page thirty six. This is the second chapter of the uh, Rustai uh, ceremony, and it says it is also a special cause for celebration when a family accepts an outsider into their house. On this occasion, the Klingon accepting the new member performs the Rustai or rite of bonding. During this ceremony, the family's representative and the invited individual join together as siblings. Candles used as part of the ritual signify the new link forged to unite and strengthen the, the two families. Uh, so I think we see this uh, moment. Uh, actually, I don't know if we actually see it, but we we know that Worf joins Martok's um, family, although I don't know that that's necessarily the roost. I, this might have been, oh gosh, was this one Worf? Uh, uh, made a special ritual with that kid whose mother died on the away team mission and he mm -hmm. felt responsible yeah. and guilty and is that the Rustai? I can't remember. I so. There was I a candle. So. I remember a candle. With there that. was a candle, yeah. yeah uh -huh. the, 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 was, was it Jeremy Astor? Was that the kid's name? I think, I think so. My, my, my TNG fog is a little, <laughs> a little easy right now. But anyway, so uh, riffing off this, I mean, obviously you'd want a, a player character cling on or at least a, a strong major NPC playing a Klingon. And uh, this is an opportunity to get a, a player character or I guess another NPC more tightly connected into that um, into that subplot relationship here. So I, I guess, you know, having just rolled this randomly, this feels like kind of a, a, a soft uh, <laughs> a soft one here. It, it just seems so obvious about what you could do with it. Um, just to amp it up and spin it around though, I think um, maybe depending on what area you're playing in, I guess, you know, you could you could do this 
bonding ritual. Okay, so you got these two disparate species that have become bonded through circumstances. And then maybe what happens when the Klingon civil war erupts? Does, does that bond strengthen? Does it get tested? Does it get strained? Like, I mean, again, this is a lot of social conflict potential, which I personally love. I, I love all the, all the role playing and the, the real deep character introspection. And uh, I could see this very easily getting into a place where you're challenging a lot of values. And uh, like, what's really important to you? Your, your, your connection with this, uh, with this Klingon through this, through this bonding ritual? Or is it something else? Like, I, you have some competing values here at play that could uh, that could influence what, whatever plot line is going, right? I'm thinking of, I don't know why, but it just layered over it. So you have this bonding ritual where, you know, you have to be close to this person like brothers. But mm -hmm. let's make those brothers the Klingon version of Chuck and Jimmy on Better Call Saul. <laughs> I don't know, but but they constantly are competing against each other uh -huh. and jealous and undermining each other. But then they have this oath. You know, why do they have? You know, what what's that relationship look like, especially when there's competing ends and maybe mm -hmm. maybe it, it, who's highest in the house or something. So, mm -hmm. I, I some of my favorite episodes are even when Quark marries the Farine, the Klingon woman. Yeah, and seeing those dynamics, I think it's fun to explore and let maybe players create up more rules of engagement with Klingon families. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, Al, any thoughts? Yeah, oh, I could see um, the uh, story taking a potential uh, different turn for um, players that like that are interested in running like a lower decks type campaign, mm -hmm. where maybe one of the characters accidentally saves the Klingon, and the Klingon automatically like unwittingly uh takes that character in and and makes them part of their family or something like that I, I i think that could be that could give you some silly moments to have with um people that like to mess around uh with the lower decks type stories uh-huh yeah absolutely in fact i was thinking about the earlier stuff we were talking about with the with the war um and it, like depending on how dark your players wanted to go you know you could almost run a player character through the ringer and like have them lose everything, right? Lose their family, lose their lose their planet, lose lose their ship. Maybe they've lost a lot of companions along the way. But somehow this this relationship with the Klingon, I, I'm talking like you know next gen era, not <laughs> Discovery era. Although I guess it could be it could happen in yeah. Discovery era. It would be interesting. Um, but like so like this poor player character has suffered so much loss, and yet somewhere near you know later on in their life, they they develop this relationship and they have this bonding ritual. And like all of a sudden they've got a family again, right? So they, they, they've had so much loss and now they've got this kind of like potentially redemptive storyline. Uh, and then where does it go from there, right? Like, you, you know, you, you can never go home again, but you can always find a new home. Or so there's a lot of yeah. themes that you can you could play with that, I guess. My, my favorite part of the Klingons, I don't know about the rest of you, but I actually like the Klingons when they're not warring, but they're passionate about something else, be it sculpture, music, or... Yeah. whatever it is. And I, I, I love any story that explores Klingons from that aspect um, and, and family loyalty. Like that's such a deep social subject, family loyalty. I, I just see a million ways you could really spin this into like a really good character development backstory episode for anybody. Cause it doesn't have to be human. I mean, it doesn't have to be a Klingon, right, Jim, that with that premise, it could be any, a Klingon bonded with any species, right? Anybody. Yeah. Well, whoever the Klingon deems that they want to bond with, that's the, it could be anybody else, an outsider. So that whatever broad definition of outsider you choose to choose to go with. 
Yeah, that's a huge, to me, that's when I hear, when you say that, that's a huge one of those act one reveals where all of a sudden, one of the characters on the ship, a Klingon beams aboard or they find an injured Klingon. It's like, this is my brother. I mean, that, that is a great Akon reveal to yeah. really build up uh, player characters' backstory. Oh, oh now, now you got me riffing right now. I'm thinking, oh, wouldn't it, what, what a cool cold open or what a cool, like, te- or whatever you call it, cold open tease or whatever. Um, where, like, if you've got a Klingon player character who's rough and brusque and, and whatever, and, and uh, in Act 1, this character shows up who he despises but he's wearing like the Klingon sash with the with his house symbol on it. He's like, "What are you doing with that? What that house symbol?" It's like, "Well, I am, I am. You and I bonded twenty years in the future, and I've had come back to the past to tell you something's <laughs> gone wrong." And like, and this guy was like, "What?" And so you just get this whole, this, you know, you just you're turning him on his on its side, right? And uh, and like you're just throwing expectations to the wind, but. Uh, and let's make it mud to really make it irritating. Let's, let's, make, it, let's make it hardcore fenton mud to really trip them out. And I'll riff, I'll riff another idea too. Like, what if uh, you that you're exploring this planet that used to have a civilization there? It's recently something has happened, died because of a plague or whatever. And um, you know, the, your Klingon character, who is your bridge crew, or or however you uh, whoever's playing the Klingon on your crew, or if you're playing a full Klingon campaign, um, someone walks off, uh, you know, to go try to find some food, and there's a river, and there's a baby in a basket. Hey, just and now that Klingon is adopted dad, you know, raises you know, like raises the kid, you know, that type of thing. Sure. I love that. I sure. love that. Yeah, yeah, little, yeah. Go ahead. No, just saying he's pulling a little a little old biblical, you know, yeah. trope into that. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I was just gonna say, you know, the, the Klingons, I think for the most part, especially in the next gen DS9 era, the, the Klingons were written so Shakespearean, very, very high drama. Um, pathos kind of stuff and say sure why not go to the old testament right and uh, and pull in some of that some of that content because there was a lot of uh um you know blood and blood and sweat and tears and a lot of big a lot of big stories in the old testament right so yeah why not yeah that, that'd be cool if the players were willing to go along with it like if you're pulling in that kind of uh, symbol symbolism and uh and uh, pulling on those those classic uh, those stories right yeah you can you can go there's all kinds of stuff you can do with that for sure. This is yeah. amazing. I actually find that our riff this time, I know we have one more, we're going to go to Al, but I want to think our riffs are actually skewing very Klingon-ish in a sense. So, so if we go through, we, we had the original one where uh, we started with the Andorian and Tellarites and there's some sort of trade agreement. You could easily throw a Klingon into that to be the antagonizer, the antagonizer mm-hmm. there. And then we moved over to Jim and you had the, uh, the role of the science officer with a possible mycelial network and cloaking device right and then we moved over to al and al you had the command division book you had selected uh remind me the cold war the cold war yeah yeah the the ceasefire yeah right so again you could definitely have the klingons be the antagonist on the other side messing your negotiations up we circled back around the scientific method you know where, where we have a missing star system got Klingons all over that it could be a huge cloaking device for all we know that went wrong you know oh, yeah. And, yeah. right right and then finally Jim we have your story which gets into the passion of the Klingons I feel like we almost wrote the first season to the first Klingon Star Trek <laughs> yeah, there you go no ever all right Al let's let's hear what you got all right so I opened up the player's guide um and randomly opened to page 162 uh and I'm looking at a section called 
flight controllers and helm officers on space stations, uh, which I thought was really intriguing because you often hear people, what do I write? How do I write for, uh, you know, a flight controller? Like, how can I make them the star of an episode? Um, so this is specifically talking about their roles on board a space station instead of a starship. Uh, and it says, with dozen of doc dozens of docking bays on a space station, you manage the teams at each to ensure they are knowledgeable and equipped to handle the size and number of ships they interact with. Whenever a ship is arriving or leaving, it runs through you. And when they arrive, you are in charge of directing them to the appropriate docking bays. So I was thinking this could be, you know, obviously we're looking at a, a station-based uh, a story. and it, it Truly, it could be Klingon or uh, Starfleet. Uh, and um, I think that this could be an interesting story in so many different ways, right? Um, like if you have a whole new species that is coming out to visit and, um, you know, and you have to figure out how to accommodate them um, and their ships don't work the same way as yours. Or, um, you know, I think that uh, that's probably the direction I would start going with this. I, I like that. I'm going to yes and on that. You said their ships don't work the same way ours do. What if they're more organic based ships? And so when they come to dock, they actually attach. It's almost almost like fungus or disease like, but it work, it works for them, you know. So so all the complications that might come from that. I love organic ships. In my opinion, I just think there's one that's out there right now that we don't know about, maybe. <laughs> but um, I would love to see those kind of complications. Um, in a docking, I mean, what, how, how we, I always tripped out that the fact every ship that came up to D, DS9 had a docking port that fit. That was always weird to me. So I would like to hear more problems related around that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's an opportunity. To, I, I agree with you, Michael. It's, I mean, it depends on what kind of story you want to tell, but I think it would be a fun departure to uh, to make the technology not compatible, right? And I mean, it could seem like such a minor thing, but like. What if this new species, like what if their whole diplomacy hinged on whether you were able to accommodate them in an effective manner and you just can't because the technology is not compatible. It's like, well, okay, so that puts all the pressure on the engineering team. And maybe, you know, maybe up to that point in your campaign, your engineering team hasn't really been involved in first contacts. And all of a sudden you're, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're um, blunt Tellarite engineer is suddenly on the front lines of the first contact situation. And like the entire fate of this uh, of this connect hinges on their ability to to not ruffle feathers and to to make it happen, right? So I guess that's almost a one of the classic like fish out of water situations where like yes, you're testing them on what they're good at, but you're also adding another complication on top of that. Is like not only do you need to be an awesome engineer, but you need to be great at first contact. So good luck, <laughs> go roll go roll some dice and see what happens. Um, and, and, then, and then to tie it in, right? Then to tie it in, you make his, uh, you or not his or her, there or there, you make that that Tellarite's, you know, first mate or whatever the Andorian. So they're going at each other. While <laughs> We're back this, to them. <laughs> while this alien species is like, what are you doing? You're not doing anything to help the cause here. <laughs> and and to add one more layer to it, yeah. what if this species shows up with like two dozen ships and mm -hmm the space station ports are all full, their shuttle bays are full, and now they they truly have to ask people to leave to accommodate this new first contact um, situation. Yeah, all I'm thinking about is barnacles. You know how, like, when you have a boat, like, they, they tell you don't bring your boat to the lake because 
will infect our legs with this barnacle. I'm just seeing all these organic growths at the ports. And then you have a panic where some people are like, we need to evacuate before we get infected too, you know, and like there would be a lot of uh, management quartermastering to do, which would be, a, I think, a fun aspect yeah. of, of an adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, Michael, um, I don't know if, Al, if you caught this, but your audio cut in and out, Michael. Uh, I don't know if it's the... Yeah, I heard it too. I don't know oh, microphone or the, or the... It must have been the microphone, I guess, but you, uh, your, your volume dramatically changed for a couple of minutes there. Oh, interesting. Probably because my body moved around. I probably should stay. Uh, <laughs> stay I should probably stay stationary. I'm too animated. It's yeah. the American Sign Language in me. Yeah. Are you Are you uh, standing up when you're uh, when you're doing things? No, I'm actually sitting down because okay. I was told to sit down and stop swaying. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, interesting. I wonder I'm if you control, I wonder if you need a lavalier on your uh, on your collar or something. Six inches. I probably do. <laughs> but I, I actually probably should just get a new mic, anyways. Oh well. But um. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, guys, I think another amazing riff challenge i mean i i it's so funny because the first time we did this it was very tng level to me we had all these different aspects but this one for some reason tonight i don't know if it's the energy in the room but it did lean a little more uh, uh gruffer to me a little bit more klingon i think that's interesting um and, and a lot more social conflict than we had Mm -hmm. uh you know before so yeah what, what's your takeaways from uh, our riff challenge tonight let's start with jim um i i just think it's neat i mean i mean i i know the three of us know each other pretty well so we riff together pretty well but i mean we took six completely different books and six pair completely random par par paragraphs out of these six books so it's not like we planned any of this right we didn't intend for all these themes to come up here but uh i think if you are a, a solo game master or if you are fortunate enough to have more than one game master in your group and you're able to do kind of a little writer's room and, and you need some, uh, you need some uh, material to work with to flesh out your campaign. I'll tell you what, do what I did and like grab some of these books, take your code GM or your, or your, your, uh, your players with you, go find a buffet restaurant, <laughs> right? Set up shop, pull out the books, grab your food, have a good time, stay there for a few hours because they're not going to kick you out. As long as you tip decently and you're eating and you know have fun and like literally grab a book off the stack or, or you know use your use your mobile device of course because we're in the modern age now right you don't need to just rely on books <laughs> physical print books even though we love them but uh, like literally like if you are if you are hurting for ideas like if you if you just don't have the ideas or you just need a little help grab any random book grab any random paragraph and then that group of people that you're with just riff just just see what you see what you come up with. Have somebody taking notes or at least record it or something. And I, I, I swear, I, I guarantee if you go through three or four books, three or four paragraphs and have a good meal, uh, you're going to get you're going to get just a wealth of cool material. And it's just because there's so much stuff. We have so many words now in all these products that uh, there's just tons of stuff that you can play with. Uh, so I'll stop there. Al, what's your thoughts? I, I think that even with just a couple of sentences, we came up with multiple ideas with most mm -hmm. of these riffs too. Um, and, and I think that, you know, each one of those ideas is a, is a perspective episode, right? Yeah. Uh, and if you are telling your stories uh, as episodic seasons, um, you know, you might have uh, an episode for season one that follows uh, this formula. And then maybe in season three, you call back to it in, and run another episode that's fairly similar, but going in a different direction. Um, and I think that uh, just the possibilities are endless if you just um, take the opportunity to, to think it through and 
um, to bring your players on board to help you write that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, the reason uh, uh, we do this is really to inspire people to let loose with the imagination. I mean, if you're listening to this or watching this right now, um, you see we're very yes and. I always like to emphasize no, nobody argued like, no, that's not a good idea. We just yes and mm-hmm. and came up with the kind of shows you actually see on TV. I think also it's important for players to understand that or and game masters to understand that work with your players to develop their backstories. Don't just throw modules, say, hey, how will this module flesh out the characters? And you may approach a couple of your characters, uh, a couple of your players beforehand and say, hey, in this one, I want to highlight this. I'm not going to tell you why, but we need to create a little backstory about how you're the brother of a Klingon or a sister of a Klingon. These are opportunities that they will be way more engaged coming into the game because they have something at stake, a relationship or a resource or something like that. So that really impressed me that on almost all of these we talked about, we created some sort of, we said we need a backstory with one of our players here, which is super important. Yeah, right. um, I, I was just gonna, I was just gonna add, you know, so, you know, not, not only, you know, reach out to your players and say, hey, I got this cool idea. What if, you know, let, let's build this backstory in, you know, also um, on a similar vein, like if you're, if you, if you are fortunate enough or, or not for it depends on how you look at it. But if you have a player who's made the effort to write a backstory for their character and has already added in some of these details, you as a game master, you kind of owe it to them to at least look at their stuff and 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 plug it in somewhere. Like they've already done some of your work for you. Take advantage of it. You know, use that material. They're telling you what they want to explore and do. So take it and you know, you can certainly twist it and put it in a, take it in a new direction that maybe they weren't thinking of. But if like like I know that I've got a couple of really good players who who love to create those kind of plot hooks, and they'll just say, "Look, I got these five plot hooks that are in my backstory. I don't know exactly where I want them to go, but they're there for you to use. So please use them, right? Don't just throw new shit at me or new stuff at me, but use the stuff I've got already." And uh, boy, I mean, players just eat that up. Like they they are so much more like you were saying, Michael. They are so much more engaged when you can tie that character directly into what's going on as opposed to just a thing happening and everybody has to react to it. And you can actually make those personal stakes really super meaningful and tie into their backstories collectively. That's where the real gold is. Like, I mean, some of the best next gen DS9 episodes, I mean, really Star Trek in general, it's always pulling on those character strings, all their backstories, all their, all their stuff. Like you, you drag them into it. You've got some great recipes for melodrama and in the best, best, uh, you know, spirit of Star Trek. So. Don't be afraid to, to, to work with your players. Exactly. All right. Well, for everyone out there, you know, we really want to encourage you do your own riff challenges too. Let us know what you, you come up with, you know, continuing missions is always a place where you can toss ideas. People submit mission briefs and modules or even just encounters um, or even post play reports. So we're always eager to hear that. Um, keep exploring also, um, you know, feel free to, to riff on social media and reach out to us. We're all there. You're going to see me, Alan, Jim, all day, all over social media. Um, and people are constantly saying, hey, what do you think about this idea? And people respond. So don't be shy. Jump into it and make sure to collaborate with your players to make an amazing game. It's collaborative. All right. It's time to do our shout outs, I think. Let's go ahead and uh, I'll go ahead and do my shout outs to uh, Brick and Mortar. Of course, I always celebrate brick and mortar stores that are holding it together, survive the pandemic um, and, and putting hard copy into the hands of um, their their general public. We have Night Owl Games was shouted out by Hobby Coben 
Nagwasanji Regan. I hope I got that right. Um, and that's located in Littleton, Colorado. Um, and then we're also going to shout out uh, Red Castle Games in Portland, Oregon. Daniel Pearson wanted to shout them out. And finally, Tim Lumson wanted to shout out Heroes Beacon in St. John, uh, NB, Canada, NB. I, I, wow. New Brunswick. New Brunswick. Thank you. I was like, that's not Newfoundland. <laughs> New Brunswick. Wow, that's East Coast. That's way East, isn't it? Okay, fantastic. That's east of Quebec, where, where my family's from. All right, well, fantastic. That's my shout outs. And so we got Canada in the house. That made me happy. All right, Al, let's go to your shout outs. I just want to shout out anyone that is out there that is doing podcasts that are talking about the game. Um, the more people we get talking uh, uh, about uh, the game and uh, Utopia Planitia and, you know, all of this stuff that's coming out. Um, I just want to thank everyone that is sharing um what this game is it's amazing how far it's come and i think that with all the stuff that we have now um you can really make just so many amazing stories and and with people talking about it online on social media uh, more and more i think that that is going to help the product grow even more indeed jim take us out yeah on a similar note i just wanted to thank all the fans of the game not, not just for supporting the game but for supporting each other right like uh um, Modifius and the Star Trek Adventures team can only do so much, right? Because we, we're primarily focused on creating new products and, and delivering new products to the to the fans. So like uh, I, I do as much as I can, obviously, because I'm project manager and it's my job to, 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 to help support people on social media as well as get all the new products out. But um, I've, I've noticed that the fans have really taken it upon themselves to to uh, to support each other and to answer questions and to help each other. Like I know, Michael, you were at the forefront of this five years ago when you created continuing mission in the first place. Um, but uh, like, I, I know that there's a lot of fans out there who create game aids, create references and uh, create great videos. Uh, there's just like, every time I'm on social media, I seem to discover somebody new on Twitter or Facebook or something that's a, a gigantic fan of the game and not just a gigantic fan of the game, but are actually willing to uh, proselytize on behalf of Modifius <laughs> to say how great this game is. And like, like a lot of times on social media, you know, the usual posts will go on like, oh, you know, what, what TTRPG are you playing and why is it so awesome? And like invariably there'll be people coming up saying, hey, go, go try Star Trek Adventures, go try Star Trek Adventures. And uh, A, that's gratifying uh, because that means that we're doing something that is meaningful to a lot of people enough that they want to share it with other people. Um, but it's just good to see it. It's good to see that this game has a healthy fan base. Uh, cause there's no way we could, we, I mean, we're going on year six now, right? There's no way we'd be here without the fans. Um, so thank you all of you for, for, uh, playing the game by, I mean, sure. Buying the game. That's, that's important, obviously, cause we're still in a capitalist society, but, uh, if you weren't talking about the game online, sharing your Twitches, sharing your streams, sharing your reports, adding content to continuing mission, you know, the game would look dead, right? If there's just no, if there's no online presence for the game, then it's like, it's hard to get people involved. Um, but clearly people are involved. More and more people are coming into it all the time. Uh, it's just exciting to see the growth over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens next. The sky's the limit. So uh, we'll yep. just keep at it. I mean, I know the challenge of course is, uh, you know, we're not the biggest game in the world. <laughs> <laughs> for obvious reasons because like there is only one D&D right we'll, we'll be honest but uh we're we're chipping away and uh you know building our building our fan base one one gamer at a time so see, we'll see more of that in coming coming months and years 
but uh, ultimately, you know, long story short, thank you to the fans as always. Fantastic. It's okay. Star Wars, Star Trek doesn't go anywhere. It, 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 fans have kept it alive, and that includes uh, Star Trek Adventures RPG. Fantastic, everyone. Well, IDIC, uh, have a fantastic time. Live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. See you all next time.